Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. It's the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. J.C. Sherbert here with you. Folks, sorry for uh, the late hour getting today's episode out. And like I said, just bear with me on the times. Um, all right, what we're going to do, since most of you are probably going to get this on Friday, uh, we have a final word episode coming out tomorrow uh, about the game, and then I'm going to get into um, the Napier thing that I promised you. Uh, we're backed up with mailbag questions. So this entire episode is going to be nothing but mailbag uh, and then, you know, I'll have an episode probably relatively early tomorrow. Uh, so you guys will have the mailbag episode and then you have this episode and uh, we'll be all called up to a certain extent. But shoot, I've been uh, doing Zoom calls, doing podcasts as guests, radio shows. I'm on in Valdosta, Georgia tomorrow morning. Uh, it's been, you know, quite a, uh, a good experience here, uh, you know, since the, the coaching search started and uh we're going to continue to track it for you right here uh, on on the Inside the Game Guys podcast and also on the bigspur.com. You can join right now for a dollar. Uh, if you don't want to join, that's fine. Uh, go over to the site, still check it out. There's a lot of free stuff you can read, including stuff on the message board. Also, John Whittle released his coaching hot, hot board 2.0 um, uh, earlier, like a couple hours ago. Uh, don't forget to the JC and Morgan college football podcast with myself and Mike Morgan from SEC network. If there is a game tomorrow, uh, because these COVID numbers are getting awfully close. Uh, if there is a game tomorrow, then um, he will be calling it on SEC network. I'm, I'm sorry, not tomorrow. Well, tomorrow, if you're listening to this Friday, it's tomorrow. If you're listening to it uh, on Thursday night, which I think it's, 9.52 Eastern. So if you're, if you're getting it tonight, then the game's not tomorrow. But if it, you're listening tomorrow, then the game is tomorrow, if that makes sense. <laughs> uh, but Mike Morgan will be on that call um, doing play-by-play uh, for the game, if it happens, because, I, you know, th- those numbers are awfully close right now. Um, I think Eli Drinkwitz said today they're right at the number, and then Mike Bobo said that there could be an issue at South Carolina. Um, you know, which I can't say terribly surprises me in terms of, you know, when your coach leaves and you're two and five, you know, a lot of these kids are not going to be as careful as maybe they should be. So, and that's to be expected. Um, and, and South Carolina just doesn't have COVID issues. Uh, they have, um, you know, injuries, uh, guys out for the season, and also uh, they had some opt outs. So, you know, the, the roster is getting thin. <laughs> I think when you um, when you kind of look at it, and it's thin for Missouri too. So, you know, should be a heck of a ball game, right? You know, on Saturday night if they end up kicking it off, um, and and so that's kind of uh, up in the air. But uh, I sure would like to see it. I think you know the see, like I said, it's a game for a trophy. Maybe they reschedule it till December nineteenth, uh, which would be fine. Or, or actually, December twelfth is still available. Uh, for the Gamecocks, I think maybe not for Missouri because I think they had to reschedule, but I'm not sure, you know. So, so we'll see kind of, uh, you know, how that maybe works out uh, as we move forward um, with the schedule, trying to finish out the season. And I do think they should finish out the season. I think it's, uh, 
you know, those three games, as I've said, are, are important any year that that you're you know involved with South Carolina football. Uh, you don't want to lose six or seven to Kentucky. Uh, you always want to play that Georgia game well, and um, you, you certainly want the trophy back from uh, the Missouri Tigers if they play this weekend. All right, so the mailbag. Uh, there's two ways to get in the mailbag. You could tweet to at the Big Spur Pod, and please go. You know, if you could, uh, you know, follow that Twitter account, that would be great. I think we're really up to a lot of followers now. I think uh, since we've been doing the mailbag, we've gone from about 110 to 274. Uh, it's not as easy to get massive Twitter followers these days. I remember, you know, when Twitter first started, and it was a friendly place. They used to do follow Friday and everybody like, oh, you know, and you pick up 10 or 15. It's hard these days. So I appreciate all of you uh, that listen to the podcast and follow the Big Spur, following the Big Spur path, the Big Spur pod uh, as well. Um, so I'm going to start with these. Uh, JB and Goldwater um, says to download. <laughs> and uh, I was on JB and Goldwater. Basically said the same thing I said in the last episode about why Shane Beamer was a candidate. Um, so we appreciate JB and Goldwater. And I highly encourage everybody to listen to that as well. Um, Jim Golfcox tweets me, goes, after listening to your podcast, I believe I'm on the Shane train. I wasn't sure if he had enough to be a head coach, but you won me, won me over. Well, thanks, and 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 I, and I want to say this: I'm not trying to win anybody over or convince anybody. What I'd like to do is put out why these guys are involved, because a lot of times you don't know why coach. Like, why are they looking at that coach? Or, you know, like last year, I didn't know why. Why would Arkansas hire Sam Pittman over, you know, maybe like a Skip Holtz? You know, Skip Holtz would have taken the Arkansas job. His dad coached there. Um, and, and then you kind of see, you know, sometimes you, you find out the plan later. Uh, you know, and, and Arkansas is doing quite well. Um, and, you know, there, there's some people out there who <laughs> are against hiring Shane that, that don't want to, you know, well, we'll just wait and see what happens at Arkansas, you know, and, and I understand that too. I understand that at this point, South Carolina fans have been through so much. Um, and it, it sucks because it was right when things were going well that the bottom sort of started falling out and Clemson, at the same time, it wouldn't be so bad if this were like the 90s, you know, when Clemson was a Peach Bowl and Gator Bowl team, maybe. Uh, and then they had bad years, too. Uh, I think Carolina and Clemson both fired their coach at the same time in 1998. So it wouldn't be so bad, I think, for most Gamecock fans if, if that were the case. And, you know, that game was competitive and, you know, but Carolina was just struggling in the SEC. But the, the having to watch your arch rival – uh, that you beat five times in a row between 2009 and 2013, not just play for ACC championships, but for national championships. Um, that's got to be very, very difficult, you know, especially uh, when the Gamecocks had, had been the most successful they've ever been in the modern era in that rivalry series with those wins. And so, um, you know, it's tough. It's been tough, and the Will Muschamp hire didn't work out, and, and that was one where you had to kind of explain, you know, why it could. Uh, and, and you had to kind of take a leap of faith that the stuff at Florida would not bleed over to South Carolina. I don't know that the exact stuff at Florida bled over to South Carolina. Uh, I know at Florida, though, one time Will Muschamp was 22-9, and nine, and he finished 6-12. and 12. 
Uh, and I know one time South Carolina, he was 20 and 14 and he finished eight and 16. So something's happens along the, the, the journey uh, with Will Muschamp, whether that's uh, injuries or what, I mean, I don't know, but we can talk about all that later. Um, so thanks Jim for that. Uh, spit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, boy spit. Thank you. Spit. He, he gets in. He's like, JC, given our talent returning at receiver combined with limited recruiting, how would you feel if whatever coach brought in Steve Spurrier Jr. to coach him up? I felt he developed guys well, just wasn't a great recruiting coordinator. Thanks and hang in there. Yeah, I, I don't, you know, as far as coaching the position, you really miss Steve Spurrier Jr. Because I tell you one thing, his guys caught the ball. And he was able to kind of teach that. Um, you know, when he going back to his days at Oklahoma, he was good at that. Now, should he have taken some heat and criticism for how his dad's program slid down? Yeah. I don't think he made particularly good decisions personnel-wise, um, you know, both in terms of, you know, some coaches maybe that he wanted spurred higher and in and, and terms of recruiting. And uh, even sometimes I'll go back to 2012 and maybe sometimes in terms of, of who he played in the games. But it didn't hurt him because he had a lot of good players. And – he didn't just, you know, have guys that came in with natural talent. You had guys like Alshon Jeffrey and, and Rice uh, that had a lot of natural talent, and these guys were talented, but he made those guys even better. Um, and I think what was good about him was it didn't matter, like, if you had a weakness, like Alshon's speed, okay? We'll use that. And Alshon's still not a guy that's going to line up and run, you know, 4-5, four, 4-4. Four, four. Um he was able to kind of teach them how to work around it because the, the, the first thing that they did was catch the ball. And, and if you notice any Steve Spurrier offense, wherever he coaches, they catch the ball or, or, or they don't play. Um, that's the bottom line. Uh, they don't tolerate drop passes under any circumstances uh, when the head ball coach is there or, or the or junior. You know, I don't know that Mississippi State's having a lot of problems dropping passes right now. Um but uh, personnel-wise, you know, that that's not really Junior's strong suit. So, yeah, how would I feel? Uh, I think that it would be something that would be a, uh, I guess, a, a quick fix. Because um, I think the guys they have now probably, he could, he could probably get a little more out of them, you know. And maybe not, you know. I don't want anybody to think I'm coming down on Joe Cox. Maybe not, but – you know, I, I also think this, you know, they can – one of the, the mistakes I think, you know, Muschamp and the staff did was, you know, number one, if you're going to move A.J. Turner, and I don't know if Turner was hurt or whatnot last year, but, man, that guy was a, was a key part of the game, the team. Uh, and then you move him to corner and he never plays. Uh, you know, that that was bad how that ended. Um you know, and if you didn't want to play him at running back full time, use him as like they call them. A good coaching friend of mine calls them ponies, and and the the, the ponies that are in the in the offense, like you have the X and the the Z, and there are certain body types, and then you have ponies, and the ponies are kind of slot guys, running back build kind of guys that could play running back. They they, they you know they take the the jet sweeps, kind of like, it's kind of like what DeCarry and Joiner could do, and. You know, you, you, you move Turner to Pony. 
uh, you know, and because Turner had good hands and you get him the ball because you just didn't have a lot, you know, once everybody started getting hurt, you, you didn't have a lot of playmakers besides Brian Edwards. Um, and, and so, you know, Jam, Jamias Williams, Jam Williams, there's another guy, you know, that uh, I think, you know, he kept getting hurt on defense because he was too small, um, you know, got picked on as a corner, you know, and, and there's corners that were his size that, you know, did some good things. But, he, you know, the bottom line is he was getting picked on and then his safety, he was getting hurt. Well, he's playing offense at Georgia State now and doing pretty good. Electric with the ball in his hands. Are you telling me you couldn't use you couldn't have used him? That's a that's a cat that you miss him once and the band's playing. Um and, and so I, I think one of the things to that point, to your Spurrier Jr. point, I, I think one of the things he did well, both in terms of his career at South Carolina and also at Oklahoma when he got there the first time when they had no receivers on the roster because they were a wishbone team transitioning to Mike Leach's air raid, you know, they went and got DBs and, and they got running backs and safeties and then they moved them over there and they, he coached them up. Um, and so if, if you're in a situation like that, I, I think uh, I will say positively that, you know, he's a guy that can do it. Do I think he's coming back as an assistant to South Carolina? I would find it highly unlikely. Um, just cause he was here for so long under his dad he's kind of part of that era and I just you know I think he's got a good thing going at Mississippi State with Leach um now now their program doesn't have a good thing going right now they're struggling but I think working with Leach is good and I think that um you know I think he's really grown as a coach since then just watching him in his interviews and how his his, his guys perform and stuff like that so he uh you know I, I think that enough time has passed where We've beat up on Spurrier Jr. a lot, and the criticism was deserved. But uh, you know, right now, I think he's on a good track. Uh, and you're, but you're absolutely right about uh, coaching receivers. Up, Chris says, I believe I would like to see a shock in the Gamecocks hire Sean Elliott as head coach. He has done a lot at a crappy school and would value the job. I like Sean Elliott a lot. I think you could do a whole lot worse than Elliott. Uh, people don't understand that Georgia State. Georgia State, uh, and this is the same reason I think Will Healy is going to be good. Like Georgia State and Charlotte, you know, they're kind of like I call them expansion teams, you know, because they're, they're kind of like new programs, haven't been around a lot at, at schools that are, you know, good sized schools, a lot of students. Um, Elliot does have a good, a very great, a great stadium. I mean, the Turner Field Stadium down there is awesome. Um, but it's a hard job and they hadn't won until he got there and he's been to two bowl games. So, you know, who thought that that would happen? And his overall record's probably not stellar there because, you know, I don't think anybody thought him taking that job that he would have a, you know, wouldn't have a bad year because it was kind of a rebuild or a build, but I think he's a hell of a coach. And I think, um, you do a whole lot worse. The problem with him in the Gamecocks right now is he was the interim and he lost the Citadel. And a lot of people focus on that, right? Like, I don't. Uh, I was telling somebody today, that's the last time I really had fun watching a Gamecock football team uh, for a number of reasons. Not that, you know, it was never fun under Muschamp or that it was always boring or whatever. You know, th there was just a lot of pressure. Uh, and, and it was it was a lot of pressure for me because, 
you know, number one, you know, I went to bat for the guy and, and, and I was convinced it was going to be a good hire because um, of what I was told he was going to do. And it sounded good. And I felt like, man, Gamecocks could be getting a steal here. Uh, you know, so you're, so you kind of put your neck out there. You, you want your guy to do well. Um, you know, as time went on, Jake Bentley was the quarterback. Um, obviously I stuck my neck out for him as well and, and, and wanted him to do well, uh, for a number of reasons. And that was like watching one of my little brothers play ball, you know, um, and that was stressful. And then, you know, just the overall, when things went South, just the, the just the kind of way things happened. You know, I mean, the, the both Tennessee games the last two years, um, you know, the, the, the then the last three games, uh, it, you know, you're almost shell-shocked. Um, I, I think that uh, if you've ever seen the movie Flight with Denzel Washington, um, you know, they're flying right along, right? You know, first opening scene of the movie. And he's asleep in the in the pilot seat, and all of a sudden you hear, and the, and the plane just kind of goes, um, and they struggle with it and whatever. And, and and you know that Tennessee game in 2019 to me was was probably halfway down. I think the first cocoon was probably, uh, I'd have to say when they they blew up blew the lead at Florida. Um, and then I think North Carolina, I think the thing started to take a dive. Uh, but instead of anybody, you know, saving the day and, and flipping the plane upside down, um, these last three games have been like that last 500 feet before the plane smashes into the ground into a million pieces. You know, that's, that was what that felt like metaphorically. Uh, when you're talking about the Gamecocks. But, you know, I got off track there. But so, Sean Elliott, you know, I, I had fun watching the Gamecocks play. The problem is he lost to Citadel, and nobody will ever forgive him for that. And, I, and look, I say that in jest. But, you know, people only remember that Citadel game. They don't remember that team wasn't even competitive until he took over. Uh, and they beat Vanderbilt, and then they played A&M within seven in College Station. Uh, they almost beat Tennessee. Uh, down by, you know, I think they lost by three because they fumbled. Jarrell Adams fumbled going in. Um, came back from 17 nothing down in that game. I mean, uh, you know, most of the time you have an interim coach and, and you get down 17 nothing and kneeling and people are howling at you, you know, you're not going to get up off your back and come back, but they did and almost won. Um, lost to Florida 24-14 in a game that, you know, Florida kind of dominated because they had a good defense, but the Gamecocks still made a run at them late. Um, then the Citadel happened. And then, you know, that's the last – lo and behold, that's the last time the Clemson game was competitive was, was that year. Um, and the Gamecocks lost by five. You know, it probably wasn't as close as a five-point because Clemson was up 12. Gamecocks got a garbage touchdown. But, you know, Carolina had a shot there in the third, fourth quarter. Uh, against the team that played for the national championship. So, you know, Sean Elliott did a lot of good in that time, and I, I think he'd be a good hire. But, you know, the problem is right now people still remember that. So, you know, never mind the fact that LSU, when Nick Saban was there his first year, lost at home to UAB. And Bama, when Nick Saban was there his first year, lost at home to Louisiana Monroe. You know, these things happen. 
that loss to the Citadel probably, you know, doesn't have Sean too high. But I, I think, man, if if it got down to it, and Elliot took the job, I'm not going to bet against that guy. I'm not going to bet against him. I've been thoroughly impressed with what he's done at Georgia State. All right, Justin says, so much coaching talk today. This came in yesterday off the Twitter. Listening to a lot on the Gamecocks, JB and Goldwater, and Gamecock Central, I guess that's GC. Where do you stand on Kitching staying on the new staff if possible? Seems like he's done a pretty darn good job this year. Definitely getting the best out of his group, plus the familiarity. I I think if Billy Napier gets the job, Kitchings will definitely be in. I think that um, if, if it's somebody else and, and they don't keep him, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, it would have to be like their running backs coach was amazing <laughs> and a guy that's going to go sign five-star guys or something because Des Kitchings is an outstanding coach and an outstanding individual um, recruited really well at NC state, you know, has the relationship with Marshawn Lloyd, uh, all that good stuff. And and I, I think that you want to keep that room intact. It's probably one of the best rooms. Uh, and Justin says, he's obviously listening to the pod too. Jordan says, how much of McClendon's success in 2018 was actually Jake's football mind and not BMAC's? Um, you know, they put a lot on Jake in the RPO game that year. Uh, and, you know, there's different types of RPOs, you know, that people are always asking what an RPO is. Um, but Jake had to get them in the right play and all that. Like, like I've said when we're talking about Colin Hill, there's more to playing quarterback than just being able to throw it. Um, but, you know, there's, there's no um, – you know, it, it's it's not a mystery as to why the offense, when when Jake was out, got bad all of a sudden. Um, you know, with a few exceptions here and there. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, I think Jake does deserve some of the credit for the 2018 offense, and I think you know McClendon deserves credit that year as well for you know listening to some of the other guys on the staff like Dan Werner. My understanding is in 19 that wasn't really the case. Um, because I, th- I think he was like, well, this is my offense. I'm the one that's going to deal with it, so I'm going to do what I want to do. But, um, you know, I, I don't want to totally say, ah, McClendon sucked and it was all Jake because I don't, I don't think that's the case, but I do think Jake had a lot to do uh, with when they would do really well uh, in 2018. They did have some great offensive games. I mean, Clemson was great. Uh, Ole Miss was great. You know, when they came back against Tennessee, that was great. Um you know, they did have some really good offensive games. So I think uh, I think that uh, you're on to something, but I don't know that it's all that there is. All right, so the other way to get into uh, the mailbag here on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast is via email, insidethegamecocks at gmail.com. The mailbag is always open 24-7. I answer every question um, that I get. And I appreciate you guys being active participants in it. That's why I needed to get this episode out, man, because, you know, mailbag questions are coming back. I got to talk about the coaching search. I got to, you know, final word on the game tomorrow uh, if they play it. So, you know, I I, uh, I needed to get this done. That's why I'm up here at 1013 Eastern, rocking and rolling, talking to you guys. Been up since six. <laughs> so if I'm a little loopy, uh, don't worry, you know, don't worry about it. 
Don't worry about it. All right. The first thing I want to do is Tim sent an email. And, um, you know, it's more of a statement than anything. It's kind of funny. He says, they check all the boxes, do more with less. National championship staff coach to the NFL will make you laugh. Uh, and he's got a picture of uh, the cast of coach, Craig T. Nelson and uh, Dauber and, and, and Luther. <laughs> and uh, I responded, I know, man, it's hard to recruit to Minnesota State. So that's funny. Uh, coach was a great show, by the way. That was – I don't think – I judge sitcoms by have I ever – can I remember one of the episodes that just wasn't funny? Uh, and Cheers – I don't remember a bad episode of Cheers. Uh, I don't remember a bad episode of Coach. I don't remember a bad episode of Alf. Um, I don't remember a uh, – well, the one episode where Alf played the drums or, or was in the rock band was kind of weird. I don't know. Um, you know, and, and, and Seinfeld. I don't remember a bad episode of Seinfeld either. I know Seinfeld's a required taste, but I always laughed. Uh, but you know, I, th- I think Cheers is probably the best sitcom of all time. Um, Coach is up there, kind of in my top ten, though. So anyway, thank you, Tim, for for that. That was awesome. All right, Mitchell. Hey, JC. I hope you're doing well. I got a question regarding the coaching search. I tried sending an email on Saturday prior to the old Miss game, but I think you actually deleted it accidentally deleted on the previous episode. Yeah, the ones that came in before Ole Miss that I got to, I just, uh, you know, I just kind of – because they were kind of about the game and it was before he got fired. And so I I bagged those. Um, And, yeah, so I just got finished talking all that crap about how I answer everyone, right? So (laughs) – but, um, yeah, they were just – you know, I could have answered them, but it would have been like going back in time. Um, so Mitchell says my question regarding the coaching search is this. I don't know if you've ever seen Last Chance You, but do you think that a great junior college coach like Buddy Stevens um, from East Mississippi or Jason Brown from Independence from the show could have more success at South Carolina than Will Muschamp? Look, man, all I know about Buddy Stevens is the, the video where he went after the ref um, – <laughs> Put it. He, he went out. Went out after the ref and uh, put up his dukes. He put up his dukes, man. This dude's about like what six two three thirty, and uh, the ref looked kind of athletic. I guess he said something smart to him, pissed him off. He just went off. So I, I don't know that Buddy Stevens would win. Uh, Jason Brown probably not. I think he's kind of a crazy person. Um. And and I don't know a lot about their schemes and, and stuff like that. So um, anyway, would they win more than Muschamp? Yeah, I mean, look, Muschamp was like I said, he was twenty and fourteen, and then went to eight and sixteen. So we're talking about Muschamp prior to the meltdown in Florida in twenty eighteen, or, or before that. So <laughs> that's funny. Basically, in short, can you see a great junior college coach in the future take over a power five program without getting to that point step by step? No, I I think, you know, you can coach at a junior college uh, and then end up making it. Um, but I think sometimes you got to step, 
you know, the other way. Now, if there's a connection to the school or something like that and the guy's winning, I mean, it, it's it's different in junior college, like as far as how you have to manage your roster because a lot of these schools are in states where they require you to take so many in-state guys and you only have so many out-of-state. So, so it's just a different – you never know who you're going to get. And sometimes you get, you know, knuckleheads. I mean, I, I went to a practice at Arizona Western – um, that's the school that produced Keyshawn Nixon. Keyshawn wasn't there at the time. I drove to Yuma, Arizona in 2013, 12, 2012. Um, it's November. Uh, drove from Phoenix to Yuma. That's an interesting drive, border patrol and all that down there. Um, and I watched them practice and I've never heard so many cuss words in my life. And I'll be honest, I've, I've heard a lot of cuss words. <laughs> uh, and it didn't bother me, but I was like, whoa. I mean, it, it, it's just a different different kind of deal. And I think it takes – actually, it takes a Buddy Stevens or a Jason Brown, uh, I think, to, to coach at that level. I, I think it's, it's interesting. Uh, they'll have to work up the ranks. But there are junior college coaches that make it, that, that end up getting as assistants. They end up really good. If South Carolina were to hire any of these two men – it would be pretty funny, but I would stop being a fan of South Carolina football. <laughs> I get it. One positive is that in an alternative universe, if this were to happen, since kids watch Netflix these days, um, Stevens or Brown might be able to get any recruit in the country to come to Carolina. I don't know. I don't know about that. You know, Hugh Freeze, uh, who's still in the mix for the job, by the way, they they haven't eliminated him as of 10, 19 p.m. on November 19th. Um, you know, he was, he wasn't in the blind, he's personified, you know, in the, in the blind side. Uh, and really that guy that played the coach in the blind side is nothing like Hugh Freeze, but quite frankly, Sandra Bullock's character is kind of different than, uh, I guess her name's Leanne, Leanne Tooley, Tooley. Um, but you know, Hugh Freeze has that going for him. Every kid's watched the blind side, right? So, uh, anyway. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that celebrity status would do much for those guys or not. I'd like to see Buddy Stevens and Jason Brown fight. Can we get them to do like an MMA style cage match? Or maybe, maybe it's like, maybe they don't fight. Maybe you don't want to fight. Maybe it's, uh, it's like a professional wrestling exhibition kind of deal with those two. That'd be awesome. We get Ric Flair to set that up. Woo. Mitchell, thanks for your email. Uh, John, JC, what exactly does the vetting process entail? I'm assuming the search firm's responsible for contacting former ADs, other coaches, and players. Is there anything else? Yeah, it's the same thing with any job. And keep in mind, guys, these head coaching jobs are, you know, I'd be surprised if South Carolina's next coach makes – you know, less than 2.5 million. I mean, so it's, it's 2.5 to $7 million a year jobs. And, you know, no company that spends that kind of coin on a guy is not going to do a background check and vet and, you know, all that good stuff. So yeah, former ADs, other coaches, players, media members, you know, they, they, they're, you know, because the AD doesn't have time by himself to do it, and a university isn't always equipped to go do it. They don't have, you know, private investigators on their staff or anything like that. So that's primarily what it's for. It's also for 
you know, hey, you know, if you're if you're Ray Tanner or Bob Castlin or whoever, and you're like, I really like Coach A, you know, you can't just call up Coach A on the phone because you you got to ask permission or whatever. That's a courtesy. Uh, and you may not know who his agent is because that, that information is not always public knowledge. I mean, there's articles out there that say this guy's with Jimmy Sexton or whatever, but you may not know. And so the, the search firm helps put you in contact with the agents and, and things like that. They're just there to assist because, you know, and you pay them instead of having to bring in, you know, 10 temporary employees uh, to roll through it that probably wouldn't know what the hell they were doing. So, or you get some some students or interns and that, you know, you want your coaching search to get leaky. <laughs> there you go. Do that. So um, that's what it's for. And, um, you know, you said, is there anything else besides that? Yeah, it's criminal. You check criminal, you check, you know, credit history. It's basically as comprehensive as any other job out there that's going to pay you $5 million a year. Um, and John, I really, really appreciate the email. Please email soon. Noah chimes in. Noah is a frequent emailer to the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Sorry about the bad mood of these the past few days. I'm absolutely sick of the BS about South Carolina's ceiling as a program being seven wins. Yeah, that, that's not true. That's the floor. That should be the floor. Uh, you know, there may be some years you win six when you cycle down a little bit. Let's say you cycle down – you know, you got a young team, uh, you got a tough schedule, you go six and six, get to a bowl, you happen to lose it, and you go six and seven. That that's fine. You know, but that's the floor. That's not a ceiling at all. I know I'm a bit biased. You're not biased at all. Anybody that like understands football um and understands like, you know, what makes a good job and you know, what what schools are setting themselves up for success and where you can win and who you gotta beat. Anybody that knows that knows South. That's not the ceiling for South Carolina's program. Um, so you're not being biased at all, Noah. You're being correct. But that's wrong. Carolina run 11 games a year for three straight seasons. Settling for mediocrity is unacceptable for any SEC team except Vandy. My question is how quickly can the Gamecocks get back to relevance in the East? And once they do, will people shut up about Carolina's ceiling being seven wins? Well, you'd have thought they'd have shut up when – you know, they won 42 games in four years and won a division. And, you know, a lot of those years, you know, and, and nobody talks about this, uh, a lot of those years South Carolina actually was the best team in the East because they didn't lose an East game. And they went undefeated. Okay, so so let's think about this. In 2011 and 2012, South Carolina – let me think. They lost – okay, so they lost – all right, so – so, all right, so, all right, so it was a six-game, six-team division in 2010, all right, and then it was a seven-team division in 2011, and they did not lose, they did not lose a division game that year. No, it was, all right, so six in 2010, six in 2011. All right, so then 2012, they lost to Muschamp's Florida Gators, but they were six and one in the division. Uh, and then 2013 was crazy. They finally solved the West, right? Because I think they had Arkansas and Mississippi State. Uh, and they just so happened to lose two East games. So, you know, you're talking about during that four-year run, the Gamecocks, you know, let's just do three. Let's do, 11, let's do 10, 11, and 12. 
South Carolina was 17-2 and two against the SEC East in 2013. They were 5-2. and two. So, so the Gamecocks, man, in the East from 2010 to 2013, that's four years against the SEC East, South Carolina was 22-4. and four. And two of those games were massive upsets at Kentucky in 2010 and at Tennessee in 2013, which was probably one of the most costly losses in school history. So they were, you know, over that time, they were the best team in that division. They just didn't win it. You know, how fair was it uh, in 2011 uh, when the Gamecocks went 6-0 and in the division, but because they had to play Auburn and Arkansas and, and Georgia had like two garbage teams. Uh, and Carolina beat Georgia, but Georgia won the division because they went seven and one. Gamecocks went six and two. Uh, twenty twelve was a kind of a a two way tie. You know, I, I don't I don't know had they beaten LSU that they would have got it. But had they beat Florida, they would have gotten it because they beat the crap out of Georgia. And here's the thing too: uh, in twenty eleven, Carolina beat Georgia. Georgia won the division. Twenty twelve, Carolina beat the crap out of Georgia. Georgia won the division. Twenty thirteen. Carolina won in overtime, miraculous with a great comeback against Missouri. Missouri won the division. So those three years after 2010, when they went, uh, they were make a good argument for best team in the division. If, if they were just vo- if they were voting on it, you know, I think the Gamecocks would win. So doesn't work that way though. So I think that uh, it's foolish to talk about the ceiling being seven wins. People talk about it, you know. And there was kind of a perfect storm of a lot of really good players in the state, but I, I, I think the last time I checked, the state still puts out good players. You know, there's that talk out there that Herb Street had about, well, they're all going to Clemson, and you know, Clemson's going to get some guys in 2022 because they offered them, and they're in Greenville County, and they're good. Uh, but Clemson doesn't really recruit the state. You know, they, they kind of get a couple of guys here and there, and. You know, Will Muschamp, to his credit, went head-to-head with them and got some guys like Birch and Pickens. And I think that's the best you can hope for uh, if you're doing an in-state battle with Clemson and you're South Carolina. Uh, you know, the few guys they go head-to-head on, you know, if you win your share and then you get the other guys in the state, you're doing good. Um, and, and But, then, you know, they're like, oh, that'll never happen again. Well, that's not true. That's not true. It's cyclical. And there's a lot of good players in the state. And I'm looking around college football at, uh, you know, Lavelle Davis and Jalen Hyatt and those guys. You know, Carolina could use them, both in-state guys. Um, Noah says, sorry about the mood. I'll bring some positivity next time. Keep up, keep up the great work. It's my number one Gamecock podcast. Thank you, Noah. Uh, I appreciate that. But, yeah, I mean, you know, how long for the game for the game house to get back to relevance in the East, considering Tennessee still kind of, you know, seek – I don't want to say sinking, but they haven't really ascended. Like, boy, everybody got on that bandwagon over the summer, didn't they? I mean, I think some people called them a dark horse for the playoff. Um, they're two and five, just like the Gamecocks, or two and four. They got Auburn this weekend, and that 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 could be a bad one for Malzahn if he drops it. But, uh, you know, as long as Tennessee is still doing what they're doing and, you know, Florida is having a great year, but they've got a lot of players they'll they won't have next season, so they're going to have to kind of reload or rebuild. Uh, reload's probably a better better term for that. 
Uh, and then you do have Georgia, who's got more talent than everybody else. But, I mean, look, man, you know, what's the difference between Georgia now and Georgia under Mark Rick? You know, I know Kirby probably, you know, because they recruit more national or whatever, they're, they're a few spaces higher in the recruiting rankings every year. Um, you look at uh, Kirby's second year, you know, Mark Rick doesn't have a, a fantastic Rose Bowl win and a national championship game uh, in the Georgia – I mean, I'm sorry, in Georgia Dome – in Mercedes-Benz against Bama where they almost won it. He wasn't that close to a national title. But, you know, if they'd had a playoff in 2 I think Mark Rick would have played for it, and they may have won. They'd have run into Miami or Ohio State in the championship. Uh, Ohio State, obviously, that year upset Miami for all the marbles. Um, and then in 2012 – and Chris Conley not falling down, he goes on in the end zone. They beat Bama. Uh, I think they go to beat Notre Dame. And um, that team Carolina beat 35-7 to would have won the national title. So Rick was close, too. You know, it wasn't like a, 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 a two-a-pass in overtime close. Uh, but he was close, and had they had a playoff, it may be different. So I, I don't know where things are so different. They, You know, I, I thought that had they beat Florida this past weekend – they had a chance to really get it going and turn that series back their way. But, you know, here, here we go again in Jacksonville, same old Gators, you know, rolling it up on the dogs, um, you know, and they weren't any close to Alabama this year either. So, you know, and Carolina beat them last year. So I, I you know, are, are they good? Are they going to be the favorite? You know, should Carolina expect to just go and, and beat them? No, but can Carolina hang with them as a, as a program playing them once a year? Yeah. Um, so how long is it going to take to get back to relevancy in the East? I think you can get back to relevance soon, uh, i.e. being in the mix. I think that you want to get back to, to a team that could contend to win it probably two, three, four years. Um, I'll say three. Uh, and, and people are like, what, three years? Yeah, I mean, if you, if you, you know, if this talent that's on the roster – because I've been watching all these guys, you know, go to the NFL and, and, and you know, DJ Wanham and Javon Kinlaw are like, you know, some of the top performing rookies. You have Dennis Daly starting as a rookie last year. I mean, a lot of these guys from, from Muschamp's program went to the NFL and balled out. And, and that tells me that no matter how bad the team has been, there's individual talent that maybe doesn't shine through in the football games. And I think that's encouraging. Uh, because I think a new coach can can make some things happen. Um, and so uh, when I look at it, uh, I think that, um, you know, I think that it's uh, a situation where, you know, Carolina may not be as far off as you think. Now, there's some, some positions you need to, to fill, obviously. But I think that, um, you know, when you look at it, I think that uh, – I'm sorry, somebody FaceTimed me in the middle of this thing. Uh, you know, I think that uh, I think that when you look at it, they're not that far away. Uh, and so I think, uh, anyway, that's the deal there uh, with, you know, what to, what to expect. And thank you, Noah. Sorry for the distraction there, guys. Hudson. Hudson says, what's up, JC? I saw the write-up on the big spur yesterday of a possible Napier staff, what it may look like. Yeah, I read that too. I don't – you know, maybe half of that 
could come to fruition. I, I honestly think it's going to kind of depend on how many Louisiana guys Napier wants to bring with him. I think there's a couple, uh, especially their their D line coach Roy Segrist was in Arkansas. Uh, he's a as uh, a good guy um, and well respected. Uh, any idea what a possible Beamer staff would be? I think the Beamer staff would have a lot of South Carolina flavor, uh, guys with connections to the program, um, guys that understand the program, uh, and guys that want to be a part of South Carolina football. Uh, I also think, you know, Beamer is going to go hire the very best defensive coordinator he can. Now, what does that mean? Uh, do you expect a big name rolling in? You know, I think he'll try for some. Uh, do you expect, you know, an old name to roll in? I mean, that's possible too. Uh, but I, I think what, you know, his vision is is to put together the best possible staff for the University of South Carolina long-term. Um, and I hate to keep using this comparison because uh, I think a lot of people are like, Shane is Dabo, Dabo is Shane. No, they're, they're completely different types of people um, in terms of, personality, you know, all that good stuff. It's there's only one Dabo, you know. And um so but 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 kind of like how Dabo's done up there. And, and you, people don't talk about this enough because you do have Brent Venables and you had Chad Morris, then you had Tony Elliott and, and those guys are stud coordinators. But the rest of that staff, all those guys were either with Dabo at Alabama when he played or coached, or you know, they're Clemson graduates. They keep hiring Clemson grads. You know, Jeff Scott leaves. They hire Tyler Grisham. You know, Brandon Streeter, coaching quarterbacks. You know, Tony Elliott's a grad. Danny Pierman's a grad. Um, you know, Robbie Caldwell is not, but he's from South Carolina. Uh, Lemansky Hall is, is a guy from Bama. Todd Bates is a guy from Bama. Um, Venables, obviously, is from elsewhere. Mike Reed came from NC State. So he's, you know – Reed's kind of the, the guy, the one guy that, you know, was kind of been, had been around. So I, I you know, you, you look at that and, you know, that's different. That's a lot different than what Nick Saban does, which you know, he just kind of cycles in coaches and cycles them out and they all have big names or whatever. So uh, as far as, you know, that's the, and, and, and look, I, I think both Napier and Beamer staff are going to have a lot of South Carolina flavor. And I think that, you know, Napier's experience in the state is invaluable from a recruiting standpoint. So is Beamer's. Um, if it comes down to those two guys, I, I think, you know, and I, and I said on the big spur, you know, Will Muschamp, when he came in, two of the biggest names on his staff were Lance Thompson and Brian McClendon. They were two national recruiters of the year at Alabama and Georgia. But, uh, you know, those guys found out it's different recruiting to South Carolina than Alabama and Georgia. Uh, and one of them, you know, Lance coached his butt off and, and did a great job coaching uh, and, and tried on the recruiting trail. It's not like he didn't try, but he just kind of ran into a wall because uh, it's different recruiting for Carolina than Bama. It's the name on your shirt, you know. And, and then McClendon didn't really sign much of anybody uh, that was good. And it's hard to destroy the receiver room at South Carolina. Uh, and I, I thought back through this, and I was like, when has have, have the Gamecocks been this bad at receiver? And I almost have, like, when it comes to Gamecock football, I almost have, like, a photographic memory. I, I, you know, in my mind, I go year to year to year. I can recall most scores and games and records and, you know, all that good stuff. And so in my mind, I started the, 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 the mind index rolling back, right? And um, 
I got back to 86, which is when I was like nine years old. That was the first year I really kind of understood the game. Uh, and so I knew the players back then. I got back to the 80s. I couldn't. I couldn't think of one. I mean, you know, Joe Morrison era, Lou Holtz, Sparky Woods, Brad Scott, Steve Spurrier, Will Muschamp. Can't think of a single year where it was this bad. Um, and then talked to one of my buddies that's in coaching that, you know, went through the receivers in the state that Carolina's just passed on that are elsewhere doing good that could play at Carolina. And, you know, when I talk about recruiting, uh, I, I don't, you know, I think a lot of people think it means star ratings and team rankings, and those things are nice, and, and I love that fans pay attention to that, and it's good. It's positive to have that. Uh, but you still don't sit there and whine when you're 18th and another team's 16th. There's no difference in the class at all, and yours may be better. But where recruiting malpractice happens where I see it is when you're letting talent leave your state – that you could have had and you let a position like receiver get as bad as it has at South Carolina. You know, the state of South Carolina always has receivers every single year. You got a freak up at Virginia now, Laval Davis, six, six and a half freak ACC receiver of the week. How did he get to get – I mean, Virginia kept him quiet, right, or whatever, you know. I don't know. Where was he at, at these camps? Everybody's always so proud of it. How can you not want a six six and a half guy? Freak. You know, I, I've mentioned several times we talked about Jalen Hyatt. Fast. Uh, you know, probably not as good as he is going to be right now for Tennessee, but, you know, called a nine route against Bama for a touchdown. Um, and then even out of state, you know, you know, when you have a connection to an out of state kid with a former player, to me, that's as bad as losing an in state guy when you turn him down. Zay Flowers at Boston College, one of the best players in the ACC. Um, Arturo Freeman had him and, and begged the Gamecocks to take him. Had him ready to roll. He ended up at Boston College. You know, so so when you got guys sprinkled up and down the East Coast making plays, and I'm telling you, that kid from Saluda that went to Virginia Tech, don't be surprised if in a couple of years he's making plays up there for the Hokies. Uh, and you get like guys like that get out of the state, and then you look at it and you're like, err, uh, you don't really have much. You know, that's, a, that's, that's recruiting malpractice. Now, I'm not going to say Will Muschamp committed recruiting malpractice across the board because – he, he, I don't think he did. I think there's some positions that are really good. I think overall, the talent's better than Steve Spurrier left. Uh, it's just not in a couple of positions, and and you know I I, I kind of blame Brian McClendon for that, and you know I don't I really don't know what they were thinking. Sometimes you know you, you see some of these guys on tape, and they come in and they say this, that, and the other about them. You know, like Chad Terrell. You know, you watch him on tape, and and you know he's been hurt. Another thing is a lot of these guys have been hurt, but. You know, it's your job as the receivers coach to get good players. And, and, you know, the state of South Carolina, I mean, you think about, think about all the great receivers. Uh, and this is, this is another thing that, that I was thinking about the other day. Uh, Georgia historically as a program, University of Georgia, uh, they recruit in state primarily. I like that stuff. That state produces good receivers, but, 
they're kind of hard to find because there's a lot of bust at that position that come out of that state. And that's why Georgia, you know, you look at some of Georgia's best receivers and, you know, you name two off the top of your head, you know, 10 years ago, Muhammad Masquai and A.J. Green came from the Carolinas. Now they had guys like McCole Hardman and Tavares Green and all that, but, you know, Riley Ridley came from Florida. You know, the, the kid George Pickens they had that was their best guy, I think he's been booted off the team. He's from Alabama. You know, so, so I don't I don't know. You know, when you look at South Carolina, uh, yes, one of the goats, Sterling Sharp, was from Georgia. He was from Georgia. Uh, I think Eddie Miller, Carl Platt were from Georgia in the 80s. Um, but, you know, Zola Davis, Jamel, Jamel Kelly, uh, Brian Scott, uh, in-state guys, Troy Williamson, in-state guy. Matthew Thomas was from Georgia. Uh, Troy Williamson, in-state guy. Sidney Rice, in-state guy. Kenny McKinley was from Georgia, another GOAT. Um, but you keep going through it. Farrow Cooper, North Carolina. Alshon Jeffrey, South Carolina. Ace Sanders, Florida. Bruce Ellington, South Carolina. Um, Debo Samuel, South Carolina. Brian Edwards, South Carolina. Shy Smith, South Carolina. Um, and historically, you know, South Carolina receivers tend to pan out better than Georgia ones. So why are you going to Georgia and signing guys if you're Brian McClendon? And heck, they had that kid, uh, that could have probably helped them McDougal from South Florida that he let Mar- he, Maryland beat him. Maryland beat him. So that's it. So, uh, yeah. And, and Hudson says, not sure what it is, but Beamer, is intriguing me. Would it be an out of the box hire? Thanks for all all the hard work the last few days. Keeps me very distracted all at the office. Thanks, Hudson. Appreciate that email again. Inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. What's up, JC? This comes in from Colin. This is Colin. I'm curious how much you remembered from Will Muschamp, or when Will Muschamp was gored from Florida. Was it similar with the players opting out and being disappointed and outspoken in in him leaving? Um, no, there were no opt-outs. Uh, he, they were sad he was leaving. Uh, he coached them out for two games, though. I mean, it was different. He wasn't just he – didn't, he didn't give it up to an interim the last two games. He coached it out. Um, and uh, they were sad, but, but he told them all to stay, and there weren't a whole – there weren't any – I don't think there were a whole lot of transfers at all. Most of that team uh, came back intact and, and played for McElwain. Um, was this a trend we should have seen coming in that regards? I'll say this, and, there, and there's two things with the guys that opted out. First of all, it's been a rough year for R.J. Roderick. Um, you know, it seems kind of silly for him to opt out. But, heck, man, that guy's had a tough year. Let him go rest for a while. Uh, hang out with his girlfriend, chill out, be a normal college student for a couple weeks and, you know, get his head right and come back. You know, I, I still haven't given up on R.J. Roderick, you know, being a solid player. I think, you know, he struggles in coverage and then may, it was probably pretty unfair to put him in the box against Ole Miss and play him kind of as a dime linebacker. But I think that's what he probably is. And if he has a whole offseason to do it, you never know. Uh, you never know who gets the defensive coordinator's job. The spur may come back, and and he's a good – he'd be a good spur. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't surprise me 
<coughs> excuse me, getting late, folks. Doesn't surprise me at all that Izzy McQuamu opted out. I think he's wanted to opt out all year. Um, quite frankly, I think uh, that's one thing you worried about with Izzy during the off season because you know he's a kid, he's a college kid, and reads his own has to read his own press clippings and headlines. And you know, I think that he was kind of a media creation because. You know, the whole country got up and watched that Georgia game. Wow, Georgia's losing. So you watched him play Carolina. Izzy's amazing. You know, you see the interceptions. You see the the length and the hands and the, the pick six and all that good stuff. And you're like, wow, this guy's a freak. And he is. But then you watch the rest of the season, and it's it's not. You watch this season, and it hadn't been that way. Um and, you know, there's a school of thought that, you know, why not go try to cash in on that one good game? And, and I think he will. I think I think the NFL will look at him. NFL's arrogant. They'll look at that one good game and they're like, we can replicate this every time. And maybe they can, and hopefully they do. McQuamu's an in-state kid that, you know, played his senior year in Louisiana, came back, flipped from Florida State back to South Carolina. Um, you know, wish him the best. Uh, has he had a – declaring early for the NFL draft type of performance this year? Hell no. But I figured he would be gone because he's played like he wanted to be gone all year. Now, J.C. Horn su- surprised me, you know, because J.C. is a pretty good team player. and You know, he's he, he's been really good shutting down his side of the field, whatnot, you know. I don't know if he's communicating like he should back there, but I think that's an issue for a lot of those guys. Um. It surprised me he opted out, but of all these guys, I don't blame him for opting out because he's the type of guy that just hasn't – it's not just about one good game. It's about one good game with interceptions, but the rest of the time he's been shutting down his side of the field. Um, And his stock is is since, you know, the Auburn game where he had the picks, probably through the roof right now, probably going to be a first-rounder. You know, the last three games, your coach is gone. You know, do, do you want to risk an injury that, that may cost you, you know? And, and so I was surprised he did it because, I, you know, he's always kind of been a team guy. But I don't blame him. And, and look, I don't, I don't blame Izzy, but, you know, I'm not surprised that that hype train continues to roll on down the tracks, you know. And, you know, there, there's there's – really good highlights of him. And then there's reality. And um, hopefully those NFL guys, he gets the combine and runs well and and all that. Hopefully the NFL guys keep watching that, you know, that Georgia game, (laughs) you know, maybe, maybe the other game tape gets lost in the mail. And then, and then with RJ, I just think he needed to rest. Micaiah Scott, the true freshman D tackle, he opted out and left. And, you know, the new coach is probably gonna have to reel him back in, you know, to keep him from transferring. Um, but, no, that, that didn't happen at Florida. They didn't have a mass exodus, uh, although they were disappointed that Muschamp left. He, he is a player's coach, and players love playing for him um, and all that. Eric, JC, I hope you're doing well. After listening to Connor Shaw in the press conference, I'm convinced that our best chance with sustained success would likely come if Napier or Beamer is the choice. They both could potentially keep Bobo, which would help Stockton, which and they could potentially hire Shaw. Plus, Bobo is actually a pretty good OC, 
despite what some of the fan base thinks. I completely agree. It's very frustrating that the fan base, because they're they're mad at Colin Hill because they don't like Colin Hill. And so, you know, they think that the offense being under center and and running that, you know, the the plays they run. And I talked to a coach today that said, you know, Kevin Harris is averaging 6.7 yards before contact. That's not – and Kevin Harris having a hell of a year. He's a great player. Don't get me wrong. But that has, when you're doing that before contact, that means you're running to open space. And that that's scheme and blocking. More, mostly scheme if you kind of watch it. Uh, so, yeah, it drives me crazy because they don't like Colin Hill. I, I call it the Xbox mentality. Um, but, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and debate Colin Hill. I don't think he's played great this year. Uh, I can understand why people are clamoring for Holinsky, but I also understand why Mike Bobo doesn't make that change because Hill's the one, remember I just said, when you're talking about scheme, you know, and, and Kevin Harris running to open spaces, that that's Colin Hill's getting them in that right play, you know. Uh it truly is a pro style offense. In other words, you got to read the defense like the pros do and make it happen. Seems like they both would also potentially hire steel for DC, which would bring the four, two, five back. Yeah. I don't know that four, yeah. Four, two, five, three, three, you know, uh, I think four, two, five smart at South Carolina. Cause like I said, you can always find spurs, uh, always find spurs. Uh, and, and, you know, I think that's uh that's a good – the Ellis Johnson defense or Kevin Stills or whatever. I think if you go this route and either one of those guys hire a few former Gamecocks like Shaw or Eric Kemery or Rod Wilson, who's already there, uh, it would potentially create something special. Yeah, that, that's what I was talking about, like the South Carolina staff, like they have at Clemson with the Clemson staff. I think college football is so much more about fit than it is about chasing a name when it comes to hiring a head coach. What are your thoughts? Uh I think it's trending that way where, you know, in, in South Carolina people, you know, a lot of Gamecock fans, they're not that experienced with coaching searches. I mean, you had two coaching searches from 1998 to 2015, 17 years. Uh, there was, you know, Lou Holtz was a candidate and he got hired. He was number one. And then um, Steve Spurrier was the candidate. And he was number one in uh, Carolina. You know, Spurrier stayed. I mean, you know, in spite of all the – I remember the speculation from the Clemson radio folks in the upstate when Spurrier got the job. Oh, he's only staying three years. Blah, 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 blah. You know, never, never listen to them. Uh, never listen to anybody uh, with the Clemson radio station when it comes to South Carolina unless it's when Tony Morrell goes home as, his, as a guest appearance. Uh, but Spurrier stayed. And so, you know – Gamecock fans aren't used to going through coaching searches like maybe Tennessee is or, or some other schools. Uh, and so because the names worked, you know, you know, people kind of want a name. Um, but 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 those particular names, Lou Holtz and Steve Spurrier, were because those guys did more with less. You know, yes, they won national championships, but they've been in situations where they've done more with less. Um, and, and so – you look at that, okay, so you consider that, and, and I understand when people want names and proven because Muschamp, you know, came with some baggage because of Florida, and, you know, people didn't like that, so they want, they want 
they want more of more certainty on this this hire when he walks to the door. Um, but you talk about this, you know, Chip Kelly losing it at UCLA. Who'd have thought that? Uh, Jim Jim Harbaugh not being good at Michigan shocking to me, but he's not. Scott Frost at Nebraska, you know. The Big Ten West didn't exactly murderers row, and and you're Nebraska, and you got your, not only is he an alum, he was you know one of the top young coaches in the country just a couple of years ago. They're struggling. Um, outside of hiring Urban Meyer right now, when you look around college football, there is no name that, that's a guarantee. Even Bob Stoops, you bring him in, yeah, he's a big name, but. Is he ready to dive in and, and try to elevate South Carolina to a championship level? What does he know about South Carolina besides maybe what Spurrier's told him down at Crescent Beach? You know, not saying Bob Stoops wouldn't win, um, but but looking at his interviews and, and all that, I, I don't get I, I get the sense he misses the game. I don't get the sense that he misses like what being a college head coach is about with recruiting and all that good stuff. You know, and so so that's a that Bob Stoops is a name that's out there. Um, you know, so I I I think you're right. You know, these days it's about fit. I mean, I think I think Lane Kiffin's a great fit at Ole Miss. I really do. I think that um, you know Sam Pittman's a great fit at Arkansas. I don't know that Mike Leach is a good fit at Mississippi State, and I hate to say that because I. I love Mike Leach like everyone. <laughs> you know, I, I think Eli Drinkwitz could be a good fit at Missouri, but we'll just have to see. Um, chances are that's not going to work out. I, I, I'm surprised Missouri's better than I thought they would be. But uh, And they could be the Gamecocks this weekend, but I don't, you know, they're not terrible. So, you know, Missouri, you know, and so you look, you look at the new hires around. I mean, Justin Fuente is not working out at Virginia Tech. And here's a guy you want to talk about more with less. Look at what he did at Memphis. Virginia Tech's like the king of more with less. You know, he goes up there, takes the job. That's that's the job he wanted because that kind of fits his M.O. And he's struggling. He may get fired. So. Yeah, it, it, it's tough. You know, there are no sure things. And so you better make it a, a good fit. And, um, you know, I think on paper, Muschamp was a good fit. Had the things happened, like the wide open offense that was promised in the introductory press conference, had the things happened like that, uh, had, had the recruiters that were came in with a big rep gone out and won more battles, you know, that kind of thing, Everything that was promised, you know, had that worked out, Muschamp would have worked out. And look, in spite of all that, he's sitting there at 20 and 14 in 2018, and it almost did, you know. It almost did, but, you know, you need a different type of fit this time. And, you know, from what I've heard internally, you know, they're not interested in, you know, I worked for Nick Saban, here's Nick Saban's plan. Uh, this is what we're going to do. We're going to recreate Alabama. And I'm not saying that's what Muschamp did. Um, they're interested in a plan for South Carolina. And if you talk about Billy Napier and you talk about Shane Beamer, both, they both have, they both have good plans. I mean, Billy Napier certainly is familiar with the university of South Carolina. So um, there you go with that. I think, uh, 
And I think guys like Kimry and Connor Shaw and Rod Wilson and anybody you can get that's got a little Gamecock in them on the staff, I think that's good because I think you need some guys that, you know, have some pride. Brian McClendon, when he was here and tried to recruit a guy, I remember recruit saying, well, you know, Coach BMAC, we, we talked about offers and stuff. And he was like, yeah, I know, you know, if you get bigger offers. And, and Matt BMAC was like, well, if, you know, I know if, if Ohio State offered me a job, I'd, I'd be there tomorrow. This is in his first year at South Carolina. So, I mean, you need some coaches that appreciate it. And, and I'll tell you, those folks up the road, you know, say what you want about Dabo. And if, you know, this is the next, whoever's the next Dabo or not, I mean, it's a whole lot easier to get everybody on the same page when they not only have an interest in their jobs and making money, but they have a vested interest in the program that they love doing well. And that's why Dabo hires Dabo guys and Clemson guys, because he has a vision for Clemson. Thank you, Eric. Appreciate that. couple more here. Robert, Dr. Rob, good to hear from you, buddy. JC, first off, thanks for all your hard work and honest opinions. In my opinion, you are the best in the business. Thank you, Doc. Appreciate that. I firmly believe the next coach will be either Napier or Beamer, and I like both hires. A lot of people think that. Vegas odds, though, I'll say this. They still have Hugh Freeze second, and the odds went from three to one, or four to one down to three and a half to one, seven to two. Uh, on the latest update. So, you know, and I haven't checked it today. So, so that's they, – Freeze is still second. Beamer's third. You know, so we'll see, we'll see how it works out. And Vegas odds are – Vegas odds. I, I, tend to, I, I tend to think checking their odds versus my information, that, that they're not just putting, putting it up there guessing, you know, and, and they don't because they got to make money, right? My question is, each candidate is currently in different roles. One's a head coach and one is an assistant. How does this affect the timing of the hire? And when could each get started on the job? Just curious. Keep up all the good work and ignore the knuckleheads who struggle arguing with facts and logic and revert to personal attacks. Thanks for all you do, Dr. Rob. Um, I I think both, you know, and and it's going to be difficult because Billy Napier – is going to be playing for a championship on December 19th, which I think is three days after the early signing period. Um, so my guess would be they would announce him, fly him in. He would start assembling somewhat of a staff. Like, like it would almost be like the presidential deal. There would be like a transition office where new staff would be working while old staff coaches out the season if the season's still going on. Um because, you know, if this game gets rescheduled tomorrow, Carolina's playing on the 12th of December uh, against Mizzou, most likely. But um, with Beamer, you know, Oklahoma's probably not a college football playoff team. Uh, I think he would probably stay with them through a Big 12, a potential Big 12 championship game, which I think is December 19th as well. But, you know, maybe he would just come on, though, uh, and start rocking and rolling. Of course, you know, I, I I don't know if uh, what Lincoln Riley would say about that. And uh, I think Shane's the type of guy that would, you know, stick it out with his current team. But just like Napier, you know, 
Uh, Beamer could start assembling a staff, whatever, you know. Now, if there's some bowl game for Oklahoma or something, obviously a lot of times when guys take jobs, they don't coach the bowl. Um, and, and I believe that would be probably what happened with Napier as well. Like somebody else at Louisiana would coach the bowl, but I'm, I'm, I haven't heard that. Uh, but guess what? Uh, if Coastal Carolina keeps winning, uh, from what I've been told, uh, if they win their division, then Louisiana is playing Coastal on um, December 19th in Myrtle Beach at Brooks Stadium. So let's say Billy Napier gets the job. How many Gamecocks are going to be at Brooks Stadium for that game, right? <laughs> That'll be something else. So anyway, hell, I might fly to Myrtle Beach myself and go watch it. Oh, I got an email from YouTube. Changes uh, in terms of service. Thank you very much. You, uh, all right. Whatever. YouTube. And the final question of the night. And boy, man, this has been fun. I like these mailbag segments, but Dom, hey, JC, quick question this week. What is the time frame looking like for the hiring process? I know a lot of Gamecock fans are anxious about the hire, including myself. Can you shed any insight on when you think a hire might be made? Thanks, Dom. I uh, I don't think this thing's going to go past the first week of December. Now, it may go may, it, the drop dead date. I think is December fifteenth. My feeling is, and this is assuming that there's nothing that comes out of left field. Like there's no, you know, secret superstar candidate that everybody goes woo about. They're, they keep it quiet and they have to wait or whatever. I, I I think with with the guys you're looking at right now, there's no reason why you can't go ahead and, you know, announce it the first week of December. You know, you, I don't think that you wait till, you know, after the, the signing day and uh, all that to get Napier announced uh, at South Carolina. He could still coach the game. Uh, and I know it's probably not ideal, but uh, that's the deal there. So, you know, that's uh, that's my take on it. I think it, uh, I think it'll be sooner rather than later. And also, um, I also think this. It, it, it's you know, people need to, and I, I know this criticism is probably coming for Ray. You know, he takes so long with coaching searches. Well. These these changes that happen like mid season, and then here we are seventy five percent of the way home, or sixty six point seven percent of the way home. Um, when there's seasons still left to be played, and everybody else is coaching, all the candidates are coaching. You know, there's nobody retired. Um, you know, it, it's going to stretch longer than if you know you fire a guy the day after you know Thanksgiving weekend's over. And, you know, then you go hit the road to make a hire and, and a week to 10 days later, you have a coach, uh, which is the normal time period for a coaching search. But uh, with these these midseason, you know, because the last two times the Gamecocks have changed it up, they've had an interim, uh, Sean Elliott, now Mike Bobo. So I, uh, you know, when you have an interim and you have football to be played, you know, and, and the season's still going on, uh, and everybody else's season is still going on. It's going to be longer than, you know, hey, you're fired. Happy Thanksgiving. 
Uh, and then by the time you're going Christmas shopping, uh, that next week after the SEC championship game or before you got a new coach, you know, but, and that's, I'm referencing the old calendar here. Obviously the SEC championship games the week before Christmas this season, man, I, I thought today, I can't even believe that, you know, we're, uh, you know, we're a week from Thanksgiving today. I didn't even know it was Thanksgiving. <laughs> I honestly was thinking Thanksgiving was like 10, 15 days away. It's a week. Shows you where I've been. My head's been in coaching searchville uh, for the entire week. And I, I appreciate each and every one of you uh, sending in uh, emails and tweeting. Uh, and so uh, we are done with this episode of the Inside the Gamecocks podcast, mailbag only edition. I'll be back tomorrow with the final word for the Missouri game, assuming there is one. Uh, and also talk more uh, about Billy Napier. We talked about Shane Beamer last time. Uh, We're going to talk about Billy Napier next time. And then we'll keep going through candidates, probably talk about Hugh Freeze, talk about a few more of them. I'm going to tell you why I think they would work out. I'm going to tell you why the Carolina job, they're interested in Carolina, Carolina's interested in them, why it would be a good fit. And like I said, I'm not endorsing anybody. I want you guys to go decide for yourselves which one you want. Cause I'll tell you this thing, it's, it's shaping up. It's kind of sad in a way when I, that I'm using this reference, but it's kind of shaping up like twilight. Um, and I only know that because the women in my life love twilight. Uh, and I get told about it, but you got team, um, you got team Edward Edwards. Is that his name? The, the, the goth vampire guy. And you got team Jacob, the wolf guy and it's, it's dividing up, you know, and, and this is the internet fan base, you know, uh, those of you that aren't on the internet that just may like to listen to an awesome podcast every now and then uh, that's fine. I'm not telling you to get on the internet at all. Please, please stay where you're at. Uh, so there's team Edward and team Jacob and all the, the chicks that love twilight and, the few guys out there that love Twilight, the everybody divides into camps, you know, Team Jacob, Team Edward. Well, it's Team Beamer and Team Napier right now, you know, and it's uh, – I ought to sell T-shirts. I wonder if any of you would pay – if any of you would pay uh, – no, nah, I'm not going to do that. That would be tough because I'll get four or five emails and then I'll only be able to order four or five T-shirts – and then that'll cost you $25 each because that's how much, you know, the more you get, the the cheaper they are. But anyway, I, uh, I gotta go. I gotta get some sleep. I gotta get up in the morning. Gotta do radio. Gotta chase down coaching search leads and post on the message board and fight the good fight and all that good stuff. And thank God it's Friday, but, uh, and we'll keep it going through the weekend. But anyway, you folks, I'm glad to get this out. If if you listen to it in the next 30 minutes, it's still Thursday night, but hopefully most of you will get it Wednesday morning. This is the Inside the Gamecocks. This is J.C. Sherbert signing off. <laughs>